Welcome to Curious Psalms, a podcast where we practice reading and praying this wonderful prayer book of God's people. I'm your host, Matt, and on this episode, I'm really delighted to welcome Luke Adams to reflect on Psalm 14 with me. Luke is a wonderful Grant Springs voice to have on the podcast because he has been a part of Grant Springs Church for almost his entire life. He currently works for the federal government and is also taking some seminary classes, which excites me and hopefully you too about the range of experience and insight he's going to bring to our conversation. I should add to my personal frustration, he is incredibly good at the board game Settlers of Catan, among other games. And I, perhaps most importantly, always find Luke to be a warm and thoughtful conversationalist, so I know you're going to enjoy this episode. Without further ado, let's get started. Here's Luke reading Psalm 14. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Will evildoers never learn? Those who devour my people as men eat bread, and who do not call on the Lord. There they are, overwhelmed with dread, for God is present in the company of the righteous. You evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice, and Israel be glad. Luke. Welcome to Curious Psalms. Thank you. It's like such a pleasure to be on with you. Oh, well, that's kind of you to say. Yeah. Whether true or not, it's and kind, kind of, of mean to mean, hopefully, too, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Is this, I believe we talked a little bit before this, but this is your first time on a podcast, correct? This is my maiden voyage. Like, I've never done this. So I'm hoping this captain is, you know, knows, knows his way around a boat, knows his way around a podcast. We'll see. <laughs> is the is the sloop something on a, on a boat? Is that a thing? A, a sloop? I think that's a kind of boat. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, it feels like a good word. I, yeah. I want to be the sloop master. Sloop whatever, master. Whatever yeah, I'm doing. I, I think that could work. Let's let's make it a thing. I'm always delighted when I have someone on the podcast who has never been on a podcast before because it means that I will be the best host you have ever podcasted with. It's it's true. I'm, I'm so looking forward to this because this is going to be my best podcast experience in my entire life. That's right. That's right. The flip side, of course, is I'm also the worst until you do another podcast <laughs> we, episode. But, we won't get you know. into that. We won't get into that. <laughs> Details. Well, well, Luke, you know the format because I've told you what the format is. You've read the psalm beautifully. Thanks for doing that. So let's go ahead and just dive in with our opening question, which is simply this. What stood out to you in reading this psalm? Yeah, and I just want to say that's a really good opening question. What a good warm-up question. I just really appreciate that. Thanks. Uh, Yeah, so what stood out to me is right off the bat, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And then it goes on to talk about they're corrupt, they're vile, there's no one who does good. Um, Really, it starts out with there is no accountability going on here. It sets the scene for a world in which... People run around doing whatever they want to do with no consequences, or at least thinking they have no consequences to their actions. Yeah. And I think that's quite quite the way to begin a psalm. A bold, in fact, way to begin, I think. 
Yeah. There's no buildup happening to this statement. Yeah. I don't know what kind of tone you hear verse one. Maybe this is a follow-up question, but what do you feel like the title suggests that this is a Psalm of David? Do you have any sense of the tone that David is bringing to these opening verses? Is this like despair? Is this anger? Yeah. This is a very subjective question, so I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, but I'm curious if you had a sense as you read it. Yeah, I think it, you know, I don't know if I necessarily could have articulated that I had a sense, but now that you've uh, pointed to that sort of option, I think the sense that I got and I get from this is that David's sort of at the end of his rope, and it comes like anyone Hmm. who's dealt with a fool, and we all have, because later on it goes into, we kind of all are fools, but it's particularly bad or sinister fool it, it it feels like he's just he's dealt with this person for so long he has nothing left and yeah. all he has left is to yeah. state the obvious the fool says in his uh-huh. heart there is no god um they are corrupt their deeds are vile it's kind of like a hopelessness and a frustration so despair anger i think we got a lot of that going on here i appreciate that the phrase at the end of his rope it's so perfect, I think, for what's happening in this psalm. That's yeah. so resonant. Yeah. And I think even, like, I was drawn to the end of the psalm in verse 7, which has, oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. It's this deep longing. But it's, to to use your phrase again, it's, I think, an end of the rope longing. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? It's like, it's, really? It's the... it's, this keeps going? I, I can't, I can't yeah. do it anymore. I can't, I keep dealing with these people and I can't, I can't. <laughs> Yeah. And for me, it was interesting. I've, you know, and maybe I was reading that verse a little bit more in isolation. But this, this psalm in particular, for whatever reason, I was just struck by that longing and the ways that it projected as sort of New Testament readers and as Christians, Mm -hmm. how much that points us forward and sort of catapults us toward Jesus, right? He is the salvation for Israel that comes out of Zion. And this longing, this end of the rope frustration with the realities that the psalmist is surrounded by is ultimately, like that salvation is ultimately found in this person, Jesus. And I think I'm still reflecting on what that exactly means. Mm. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Aren't like what, what what does that mean for the rest of the circumstances yeah. here? How does that actually, how does that impact us? And then how does it impact the evildoers? But I did just think, okay, how for myself, how am I cultivating this kind of longing for Jesus that's both, that is sort of like the longing that throws my hands up in, in the air, so to speak, and says, oh, if only, if only, but also the longing that says, hey, that Jesus actually is the salvation for these issues. He He is the one who meets us when we are surrounded by no one who does good, not even one when we are surrounded by corrupt yep. people, right? Yep. The Psalms are always doing this dance Right. It's an interesting tandem to have that verse seven kind of on the end. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. And actually, that's I mean, that's what I love about the Psalms. And this one in particular is you kind of begin it with, okay, here's this reality I'm dealing with. And I'm somewhat frustrated, somewhat irked by this reality. I'm in despair (laughs) at this reality. And then as he goes on, as David goes on, he he says, well, God looks at all humanity. And there Mm -hmm. is no one. There's not one who seeks God. And I think that's, to your point, like the end of the psalm points to, for us as, you know, folks who know that Jesus came to this world, it points to the salvation that Christ brings, that finally there was 
someone who wasn't a fool. <laughs> Finally, right? <laughs> right. And yeah, I think yeah. it does a good job of both naming the reality. Okay, there are vile people in this world, particularly vile people, but ultimately we're all fools. That doesn't make uh-huh. people less vile, but we all are. Uh-huh. And we all need that sort of saving grace in the end. And it's got it all in seven verses. That's a pretty good and succinct prayer. It's got desperation. It's yeah. got a little bit of hope. It's got these repeated themes because I think you can read Psalm 14 and there's echoes of sort of the flood in Genesis, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Where God looks on the earth and there's no one. Yep. There's, there's echoes, frankly, even of like Sodom and Gomorrah where... Abraham is sort of pleading, like, if you find just one, yeah, like, please, just, just like, one. Spare them. Oh, there is none, right? Though. Then, yeah. Then there's echoes of judges where everyone does what's right in their own yeah. eyes. So over yeah. and over again, it is it is hard to walk away from the Old Testament and the Psalms and even the New Testament, I think, and not see our complicity. If you read the Psalm and your conclusion is, "Thank God, I'm not a fool," <laughs> you might not. <laughs> you know, be reading you the found whole yourself psalm, in right? the company <laughs> of the Pharisees or something. Yeah, I think that's very so, true. I'd love to continue reflecting, maybe drilling in a little bit more what what we learn about God from this Psalm. I'd love to hear your reflections, Luke. Yeah, and I think the reflections I had are similar. You know, kind of what stands out to you. Going to reflect on that and. Going back to the very first line, that God is not afraid to both name things and have us name things as they are. We don't need to sugarcoat Hmm. things. We don't need to Hmm. pretend that things are better than they are. Sometimes, to paraphrase a saying, I won't use the exact saying in this podcast, but sometimes you need to call a donkey a donkey, right? It's not a racehorse, even Uh if you want it to be. It's not a unicorn, even if if you hope it to be. It's a donkey. And you got to deal with that. Like, so I think, and this is a theme I I see personally throughout the Psalms, that that naming reality, that honesty. And, And I think one of the other things I see that points to, I'm looking for it now, but yeah, you evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. And I think that's, yeah, you see that a lot in Isaiah. You see that a lot throughout the Bible that, you know what, there is no justice or when there is no justice, ultimately God is in the corner of the poor, the downtrodden people who need someone, need a savior, really, not just a spiritual one, but a worldly one. And I think that's, in the midst of this foolishness in ourselves and in other people, that God's in the corner of people who suffer because of fools of, you know, from maybe that's suffering from our own foolishness or other people's foolishness. And I think that's, it's always a good reminder. And this is a, this Psalm just does a great way of naming reality, saying God's in our corner and ending again with that hope, which is, I think quite, quite cool. The fact that God is in the corner of the poor that comes up in the Psalms, comes up in the prophets. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just thinking, I mean, it's so it's so significant here in this Psalm, but it runs so counter to a Christianity that has basically pegged God's favor to cognitive belief. Hmm. You know what I mean? Hmm. In other words, believe in God and then he is for you. Yeah. And th- that's the primary yeah. criteria. And it's just interesting to me, and I don't have massive conclusions, but I think these are the places where we allow the Psalms and these prayers to push on us in really helpful mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. That this Psalm is, just has none of that. Yeah, <laughs> It's not, you evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is the refuge for those who believe in him. <laughs> not, that's not, it's just not there, <laughs> yeah. right? 
it is the victims, it is the abused, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it is the ones who are frustrated. The Lord is their refuge. Yeah. And we could we could talk probably quite a bit about what what that exactly means. But I think contemporarily, at least my experience and kind of my background is such that faith is your core kind of entryway mm. and sort of the primary criteria through which God is going to engage with you favorably. And I think this pushes on that. And we could have a whole separate theological conversation about the place of faith. And certainly we know when we talk about common grace that God is interacting with the world in all kinds of ways. But I I just always find it fascinating. The psalmist just doesn't feel like they need to make those caveats. Yeah. Right. There's not there's not layers here where they're like, okay, and let me explain exactly what kind of poor, what kind of situation Mm -hmm. these people are in. It's just so blatantly obvious to them. That God is the refuge for the yeah. poor. That they He's just already say, there. Yeah, that's is, where he is. Yeah. Yahweh is their refuge. Yeah, yeah. That's a really cool point, Matt. I hadn't really thought about it as kind of counter to our very. I don't think all of us consider ourselves intellectuals, but our very intellectual, brain-based society. That if I understand, if I have faith, if I do this, if you know, if 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 if. It's like no, like you said, he's already there. Yeah. For poor and supporting and loving and caring without a call for help, even though in this one, there is a pretty significant call for help as well. But Right. And I think that's important. We are, like you said, a brain, sort of brains on a stick sometimes. <laughs> I think it's Jamie Smith yes. talks about that's kind of good. our cultural view reading this. I'm always fascinated by the way, as a 21st century person, I read the Psalms. Mm-hmm. Psalm 14 verse one, there is no God feels like it's an indictment of sort of atheism, yeah. <laughs> an indictment. But but really, like it's more likely that what's happening here is it's an indictment of kind of a defiance against God. It's more than just saying God does not exist. Yeah, it's saying I, yeah, I don't care. It, yeah, it's not someone who's struggling with an agnosticism or like really wrestling with what it means to cognitively believe. It's really the person who is abandoned mm-hmm. and is just defiantly living their life in corrupt and vile mm-hmm. ways. To your point of us being brains on a stick and sometimes thinking of God coming to us once we ask for it, once we have faith, once we meet certain criteria. I just took a seminary class on the early mm. church and we we just briefly went over it. But this idea that in the Irish mission, when folks from the church were going to Ireland to spread the gospel, that it was a community-based gospel spreading. And it was such that not... Mm. In order, you first need to believe, and then you can enter this community. Is no, first you enter in this community. You take part in our rituals. You take part in our day-to-day life, and then if you know you have an open heart, God willing, you become part of the community. As hmm. as and you start to believe, you know, after being part yeah. of the community. And that that's kind of ta- a little tangential, but I think it's it goes back to our default is if then it's this there's a certain order of things which can kind of be turned on its head. That leads us so nicely into this next question, I think, Luke, because often I think that the act of praying the Psalms is not always an activity that is going to feel perfectly natural to us. Some Psalms are going to feel more comfortable and others are going to feel less comfortable. So our last question, I'd love to talk with you about this. How does this Psalm help us to pray? So the last, I don't remember how long ago, but a few years ago, I was struggling to find words to pray. Mm. I couldn't really come up with anything. I would come up with, hey, you know, this happened today. This happened today. I could really use help with this. Thank you for this. Those sorts of things. But it it sometimes felt like 
it would fall off and, you know, I'd kind of forget about it and it wouldn't really go anywhere. I mean, it, it was heartfelt. It was meaningful, but I, I felt like I needed sure. something more. So I just started praying the Psalms. I went to the Psalms and started praying them. And what I find about doing that, and I think same with Psalm 14, this is um, true for this as well, is that if you pray a given amount of Psalms in a day, not all of them are going to be a prayer that you say from the heart, but they might be a prayer for someone else and they might be a prayer for you eventually. So as I was doing this, I would find, okay, I read maybe five Psalms and maybe one would stick out and it's like, oh, that was the prayer I needed to pray. And it helped me articulate Mm. some visceral or some emotional, some things going on inside me that maybe were harder to articulate. And there were the words already there in a posture of coming before all-knowing, all-powerful, unknowable being, which was kind of a cool thing to have happen. And so initially it was like, it was hard to get multiple Psalms in a row where it's like, yeah, I felt that one. Some Psalms you're like, really? I I don't know if I can pray that, but, (laughs) and I don't, I don't know about you when you read the Psalms now in our pandemic times, in our politically tumultuous times, it's almost like every single Psalm is applicable in some way because there are so many emotions going on. At one time I'm feeling Mm -hmm. anger, despair, fear, joy, Mm -hmm. hopelessness. It's all there. And I find it's really easy. I could open up to almost any psalm and it feels applicable. And like this one feels like it feels particularly applicable in our political environment today, right? Whereas if I read it three years ago, it might not feel that way as much. So I I just thought that was an interesting transition to like, oh, I'm praying all of these now Uh, rather than just, you know, finding one that, you know, I need to pray at that time. That's fascinating, Luke. I appreciate you sharing just some of your personal experience with the Psalms. To me, that highlights that uh, the Psalms are particularly prayable, maybe in times of challenge or hardship. It's not that they're not prayable in all circumstances, but they speak to us in a special way, I think. Absolutely. In that they do highlight a lot of these things. And, you know, even if they're not resonant, I love what you said, that sometimes you're praying them with someone else. Yeah. And you might not know even who that is, but that that can be a gift. I was, you know, I was also struck just by this psalm, I think it's hyperbolic in a really beautiful way. If you just literally kind of read line by line, right? The fool says in his heart, there is no God, they are corrupt. Then the Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any mm. who seek God. All have turned away, all have mm. become corrupt. And we were talking about this earlier. Theologically, on some level, that is true. But then in verse five, God is present in the company of the righteous. Right. You think, hold on a second, who are <laughs> <Yeah>. the righteous? <laughs> but where were they in verse three <laughs> yeah. and two? Like I thought, I thought there wasn't anyone. Yeah, so what's hiding going away. on? Yeah. <laughs> right. God is looking down and they've sort of covered themselves in sort of right. camo or something. Yeah, you know? exactly. So if you try to kind of break it down each part of the psalm, it starts to fall apart. But yeah. I think ultimately that's not the point, right? Yeah. It the point is that the psalmist is expressing a depth of concern and a depth of the chaos they're experiencing, mm-hmm. a depth of despair. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I I think personally, I'm a proponent of complex thinking, of using nuanced language, of trying to be as accurate to reality as possible. I think that's really important relationally, right? And interpersonally with other people. But when it comes to God, I can just use words that express the deepest feelings, whether they are 100% sort of correspond to reality or not. There's an openness and there's a generosity that God creates space 
for me to use language to process my reality so that I can say, Lord, everyone around me has abandoned me. Yeah. Even though I still have a wife and loving child at home, I could use that language with him. He would welcome me using that kind of language. And there's something really freeing in that. I, do, I think that kind of that kind of deeply expressive language, I want <laughs> to, to start using nuance and drawing distinctions, is different than lying, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's not yeah. that we're called to lie in our prayers, right. but that we're called to fully express ourselves. Well, and these are our feelings, right? This is how I feel. I feel like there is yeah. no one there. And yeah, like you said, theologically, you can argue both ways. Yes, there are righteous. Yes, there are no righteous. It goes both ways, but it, it ultimately feels like people are getting away with whatever they want to do. There is no one here to support yeah. me. Yeah. And I, I think that's, it's, it's part, uh, it's a testament to the honesty of the Psalms to just kind of say it. And like you said, this would never pass the muster of our fact-checking process that I do at the federal <laughs> government, making sure every single line is supportable. Wait a second, one in seven contradict each other. You know, that just wouldn't yeah, work yeah, out. Yeah, so I think that's, sure. a, that's a good point. And it like emotions often do that. But if we're honest with ourselves, that's what we're dealing with. And that's what we see, too, even if it may seem contradictory. Well, Luke, this has been a great conversation. Any kind of final words? Yeah, I think just Psalm 14 has been my favorite podcast episode so far. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I'll say. I appreciate that. I, I, you know, I might just edit out our earlier conversation about this being your first podcast now and leave this part in. So it just sounds really, really good. Yeah, that will sound really good. But I I hope to have an opportunity for this to be my second favorite podcast ever. Oh, yes. I, I, I hope so, too. This was great fun. Luke, it's always fun to have conversations with you, but also really meaningful. I think I love the things that you brought our attention to and I know it will be a gift to people. So thanks for taking some time and joining me on the podcast. Yeah, Matt, thanks for having me. Of course. Well, friends, let's conclude with this beautiful verse of longing and hope at the end in verse seven. Oh, that salvation for Israel will come out of Zion. When the Lord restores his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. Friends, go out and pray the Psalms. Mm-hmm.